Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I am Patrick, and uh, as announced uh, last week, we're doing a little something different. Uh, I get to, uh, uh, I had the privilege of presenting a, a couple presentations to uh, the high school class of the church that I have the privilege of attending, and uh, I decided to uh, add this as kind of a, a buffer between kind of the breaking up John Frame's book. It's a m- uh, more heavier book, and so uh, you may uh, need time to catch up, and so uh, these are episodes that uh, you can skip or you can uh, hopefully find a benefit that I pray that the high school group that I was uh, giving this to uh, also found a benefit for. And uh, one of the reasons for doing this introduction, other than to introduce uh, this week's next week's, uh, is to say that uh, uh, like all good things technology, sometimes it fails, and so uh, the recording aspect of it uh, didn't work for the first part, uh, even though the uh, video was there. And so I'm just going to lay kind of uh, the, the presentation that I have of my notes so it won't have the same kind of flair and, and uh, spontaneity that, uh, that I do have uh, uh, when presenting it to the audience. So uh, not everything will match up uh, to the video, but um, if you're watching this podcast to, to, for my good looks, then um, uh, put down the keyboard and walk outside and uh, go talk to somebody. So, um, so the presentations are on... Um, the purpose of the church as it relates to understanding who God is, and that's this week's. And next week's will be the presentation of uh, the purpose of the church as it relates to the people in the church. And so um, that one has full recording, so uh, that one will just kick right off. So it'll give us a couple weeks to uh, for Tony and I to make some headway into uh, uh, Frame's rest of the book and, and make sure that uh, we're uh, good on understanding it because, you know, even we have to uh, figure things out and discuss it. So I uh, hope you enjoy and uh, we'll see you next time. If you meet someone tomorrow and they ask you what you did on Sunday, well, you might say that you woke up, you went to church, you came home, you played some video games, school, work, and then bed. But what do you say when someone asks you, well, hold on, why did you go to church? If you've been alive for 15 years and have come to church every Sunday, you've been to church about 780 times. You stay for both services and you've spent about 2,340 hours at church, or that's almost 100 days in 15 years. If you live to the age of 75, that's almost 4,000 Sundays or 488 days of being in one building, and that's not your home or your work. So my question to you is, why are we here? Well, let's first define church. Church in the Greek is ekklesia. It means to assemble. We see the first church pop up in uh, Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to be apostles, teaching, and the fellowship, and to breaking of bread and prayer. And so uh, for this Sunday, I'm going to be covering kind of this aspect of it, the first part of the devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and the fellowship and breaking bread and prayers. So here is the, the, the entry of the local church. And Paul writes to the church of, uh, in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both there and our Lord. So that's what he says to the church in Corinth. And Paul writes uh, to the church of Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 1, 1, 6, and 7, to the church of Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, and you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. 
Paul writes to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 1, 1 and 16, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are and are faithful in Christ Jesus. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. And Jesus has John write to seven different churches in Revelation 2 and 3 and in Revelation 1, 11, write what you see in the in a book and send it to the seven churches in Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergam and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. But does this mean that everyone who walks in the doors of those churches or our church is part of the church? What does it take then to be part of the church? Well, then what pops up is this idea of universal church. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is explaining the spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit and for their proper role in the church. He says, for just as The body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, through many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jew or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles and second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, and then gifts of the healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts? So we are counted as individual members, but we are also counted as collective members. Christ is the head of the church and the individual. Believing members are the body or the church. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10 says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And we see who have tasted the Lord, uh, who have tasted of salvation are spoken here, the believers. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For its standard, it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in a Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, and they were destined to do so. So our coming to Christ is compared in a way that we are made living stones like he is the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone of what? Of the church, the one church, not of many churches, but of the one church. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. One, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Extosos, su kalel is the Greek here. Out of darkness, the called. So you were called from darkness, out of the darkness, and you were called to, called together, to meet together, to called to be of the one church. 
So what makes someone part of an invisible or global church is that they are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. They are being sanctified. They're called out of the world. They're called to meet together. But for what purpose? 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 7 says, They came together to share the grace of God given, enriched by God in all speech and knowledge, confirm the truth of Christ, given gifts collectively for the church here, sustain until the end as guiltless. Then goes into a huge, and Paul goes into this huge disagreement that's causing division and strife. But we came together out from the world into this collection. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 29 says, No human being might boast in the presence of God. God takes full preeminence. He's the ultimate being who made all things and worked out his will to shame those who think they may be able to stand before God, who has used the lowly to redeem them to an even greater glory than the perfection Adam and Eve had in the garden. And that's just chapter one of the letters to one church that we are able to read from 2,000 years later because our brothers and sisters preserved the revelation of God. First Thessalonians 1, 8 and 10 says, Turn from idols and serve the living and true God, the God who exists from everlasting to everlasting, who calls out idols as bits of wood and metal, who is true as he is not a man that cannot lie. And from those very nature, truth comes forth. They came together to go against culture. That's what they, these people in Thessalonica did. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. I don't even have time to unpack this because it is so powerful of, of what it's saying that God does and what we are called to. But he existed and had a plan for creation's fall. Uh, before creation was a thing. He redeems us fully from sin. He has chosen us as adopt and adopted us, we who were haters of God at one time, to be part of his family, to praise him, giving us his righteousness in Christ and forgiving us fully, revealing his will to us in the pages of scripture and in Jesus Christ. He plans all things to unite all things to his will and works all things to make them happen. That he will then glorify us fully so that we praise him and be with him as his own. In these few examples, we see who God is. He's the central focus of these churches and who he is, how those in the church carry out their work and what the apostles like Paul appeals to when there are issues in the church. They appeal back to who God is, who his character is, and what his desire is for us. From God's character, the church takes its direction. Now, the New City Catechism says this. It says, God chooses and preserves for himself a community elected for eternal life and united by faith who love, follow, learn from, and worship God together. God sends out this community to proclaim the gospel and prefigure Christ's kingdom by the quality of their life together and their love for one another. God chooses and preserves for himself a community elected for eternal life and united by faith who love, follow, learn from, and worship God together. So you've spent a hundred days in this building. Your friends ask you, why do you go to church on Sundays? What do you know about God? Well, we might list some of them as creator, like in Genesis 1. He's independent, like in Acts 17, 24 through 25. He's sovereign, Job, Job uh, 41, 11. Sovereignly independent before creation, John 17, 5 and 24. Omnipotent, Psalm 50, 10 through 12. Unchanging, Malachi 3, 6, Hebrews 1, 10 through 12. 
uh, which is a quote from uh, uh, Psalms 102, 25 and 27, and Revelation 1, 8. He's triune, John uh, 1, 1 through 18, John 17, 24. He's omnipresent, Psalm 139, 7 through 10, Amos 9, 1 through 4. He's spirit in John 4, 24. He's omniscient in John 37, 16, 1 John 3, 20. He's the source of truth, John 17, 17. He's faithful, Deuteronomy 32, 4, Numbers 23, 18. Revealer, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. He's good, James 1, 17. He's love, 1 John 4, 8, John 1, 26, John 3, 35. He's merciful and, and gracious, 2 Samuel 24, 14, Romans 3, 23, and 24. He is holy, Isaiah 6. He's righteous and just, Deuteronomy 32, 4, Isaiah 45, 19. He's perfect, Matthew 5, 48. We come to church to hear our pastor exposit God's words because all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And that's 2 Timothy 3, 16. And this, this breathed out by God is, is theonostos. It's, it's, the, it's like when you talk and you feel the breath on, on your hand, uh, it's that type of, of proximity and closeness that, uh, that is demonstrated here. For training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Yeah, but, but I have my Bible. I have 16 Bibles. I have the electronic Bibles. I can do this on my own, right? Well, in one sense, very true, right? I'm not going to sit up here and say, no, never read your Bible. I think they kicked me out for that, so I'm not going to do that. But who was the Bible given to? The church. The letters that you read are what? They're addressed to people like Timothy and Titus and Philemon. Does anyone know what Philemon is about? Yeah. Forgiveness. Who, who was Philemon? He was a rich master. Yeah. And Paul was telling him, I'm sending back to you your slave. He is a brother in Christ. Treat him as such. Paul upends the slavery system in Rome by those words. You and him have the same master. You are a slave to Jesus Christ. He is no longer your slave, but also a slave to Jesus Christ. He makes the point. What does Philemon do with that letter? He shares it with the church. How do we know that? Because we have it included. It was copied. It was seen as scripture. It was recognized by the church. It was passed along to other churches. It was copied down. And the Revelation church itself is the postal route. Those seven churches are the postal route of, of that area. And just as God exists in a special relationship within the Godhead, the church exists in a special relationship with Jesus as the head of the church, as the body. You know, we can't say to one, I don't need you. So we come together. And in the continuation of the communion of the logos that God gave us, we continue in the line of the prophets and the apostles and now the shepherds of his people. What do we call our shepherds here? Pastors. God draws us out of a family relationship with the devil and what? He adopts us as sons and daughters for the purposes of his will. Our pastor is presenting God's word to us in the context of God's family on a local level church. But what things is he presenting? We'll look back at uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. For learning things, for being told when you were wrong, challenged, told you're wrong, always easy by yourself. Much easier when your friend is standing next to you and saying, hey, I think this might be incorrect. For looking at things uh, that... Uh, 
for knowing what is right, for the right thing to do, the correct path to take. So that what? That you, you both the individual and both you, the royal you that's being addressed here, the church, that you may go out and be complete, ready, fully able for the good works. What good works? Does anyone know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? For by grace you have been saved. Uh, no one may, may boast. Does anyone know verse 10? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourself, lest no man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works just to do good things. The good things God has prepared from out of his will in accordance with his character and nurture, and we do them in accordance with his will to fulfill his grand plan that only he knows that he shares in the Trinity and that he reveals to us in certain ways things that he doesn't need to, but we are in relationship with him to the church. He reveals those things to us, and we carry out those good works. That's why we come here. Why do we care what the pastor says about the Greek or the historical context of Philemon or uh, we take a year to go through five chapters in Ephesians so we can get God's revelation to us right, so we can walk in the truth, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Why isn't the Bible just a bunch of do's and don'ts? Why are there stories and lessons and historical events and parables and symbols? You know, it, it's just, you know, do this, don't do that. That's, that's all the world thinks that the Bible is. Why are there stories? Why, why do we care about David? Why do we care about Oriah uh, uh, and what, what happened there? Because at the heart of God, he is a storyteller. And being made in the image of God, we love to tell stories, to communicate themes and ideas and lessons and tragedies and comedies. We learn the best through stories. It's exactly what we read in these pages in the Bible, right? We, we, we love stories that say, uh, once there were some dudes called the Hobbit, they did some things, they walked some miles, and uh, they saved everyone. The end. No, no, right? We want to hear the story of the bravery, of the overcoming evil, of how the smallest of us can impact the biggest, and that we also don't play that big of a role in things as well. There's a farmer boy who meets a wizard and a princess and a rapscallion rogue and they go out and they blow something up and you're supposed to learn about trusting your friends. No, we love Star Wars. Why? Because it's the hero's journey. It's the story. Once upon a time, everything was perfect in the kingdom. Then the enemy came and our main characters sided with the enemy until the king banished them from his kingdom. But the story doesn't end at chapter 3. He chooses a people, a very small people, made up of individuals to be called out of the world to be his chosen people. And they do the right thing and make everything better. No. They do the right thing and then they mess up. Or they mess up and then they do the right thing. Or they uh, uh, heed the storyteller, but then they falter. They are put into tough predicaments where all hope seems lost until the king restores and redeems them with his soldiers in great battle. And as people see this great act, and you know what they do? They rebel. And any of us who cannot see ourselves in that story, we dilute and think too highly of ourselves. Then one day the king sends down his prince from the safety of his kingdom and he becomes like the rest of them. 
but he's still a prince, so he uses his royal skills to feed people, to heal people, to declare right thinking in the very midst of those who appear to be the king's men, but they are the hidden soldiers of the enemy. And the king's people follow him, and they go off to live in the kingdom forever, the end. No. They kill the prince. They kill the prince, and his closest friends run away, and from him and the danger, and one even betrays him. This is the climax of the story. Where most stories end, this would be the tragedy. And then three days, you have the falling action, you have the hiddenness, you have people going to visit the, the body of the, of the prince. Until the ultimate reason that the prince was set was called to call the king's people out of the hands of his enemy and take away the guilt that they definitely earned. And he makes them princes and princesses in his kingdom. And he shows this by rising himself from the dead. And then he gives the command to go and tell others about the good news of the forgiveness of the king, of how to live in good standing by the sovereign ruler who has a right to rule. And I won't even tell you the end of the story. That is what our pastor has the privilege to unpack. That's how we best learn in that story. Now, how do we live? That's why we care about the Hebrew or the Greek. That's why we care about the connections of the king's word in the new part to the old part. And that's why we are called to it in a community because we are saved into a kingdom. It's so that we know how to study God's word effectively. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have your good success. Joshua 1.8. Not just physically prosperous, but ethically, epistemologically. The things that you know, you'll know well. Metaphysically, you'll know the makeup of the creation. You'll know correct deed, word, action, and thought. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments in every lofty opinion that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This isn't just a passage we use against unbelievers. This is a passage we use against ourselves. We take every thought captive to what? To make it obedient to Christ, to who he is. His commands, the, the these and the thous, the do's and the do nots, stem from the nature of God. And by knowing God more, we know exactly how to communi- community together and community out to the world. We stand set apart in a world of people who are asking the same questions, they actively, whether they actively say so or not. And the actions tell of what belief they bring to the table to find out answers to those questions. What does it mean to exist? Why am I here? Is this real? Are there objective at changing laws to the universe? The baseball player who uh, wears the same lucky unwashed socks and smacks the same sign on his way out to the field to play a game where he's being paid $35 million to play. So that's a good game. Until one day he finds his socks are missing and the sign has been knocked down. He's unable to play the way that he has and falls into a spiral of losses and dread. He gets hurt and is unable to play. What is he to do with life now? Did any of it matter? If only he had not lost his socks, right? There's the order, the socks. Now he's on a podcast and he's part of the new intellectual dark web who wants you to break free of the shackles of the universe of order and be complete in your fullest self in the disorder of life. They ask questions like, how do you know anything? Are there objectively true things? Are the laws of logic universal? Or are they just human conventions? 
A scientist studies nature and concludes, well, there's nothing really universal. That, that'd be wrong to say. Uh, an objective can't be the case. And then he goes home and he goes to his wife and kids and kisses them and tells them he loves them. But why? What's, what's universal? What, what's there? It's just chemicals firing, right? That's all that it is. He can't shake it and asks his friend who tells him this, and this comes from a real philosopher. He says this, take two of every neuropharmacology prescribes. Take drugs. Take drugs. And if that doesn't work, switch to another. Three weeks is often how long it takes to work. And if that one doesn't work, then another one probably will. Take drugs because you've just lost your entire evidence for a purpose in life. They ask questions like, what is good and evil? Are there any ethical standards? What is guilt or virtue? Can I be a moral person? The person caught doing 100 miles an hour in a school zone says, well, at least I'm not a burglar. The burglar says, well, at least I'm not a bank robber. The bank robber says, well, at least I'm not a white-collar Ponzi schemer stealing millions of dollars from people. The white-collar criminal says, at least I haven't killed anybody. The murderer says, at least I'm not a serial killer. And the serial killer says, at least I'm not Hitler. And Hitler says, am I really that bad? I'm doing the will of the people. I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. People are building their worldviews based on people that we see in daily life. The Petersons, the Rogans, the DeGrasse Tysons, the Sam Harrisons, the Andrew Tates. Life hacks on Twitter and uh, all social media, TikTok, Instagram, all those things you kids are on these days. See, I'm old enough to do that one. So, But where are they getting it from? They're getting it from baseball players and scientists and philosophers, all who give their opinion on what? On how to live in a world ruled by what? Their standard. We gather together to learn about God who answers all those questions and provide us with the worldview to bring every thought captive from his revelation. He tells us the purpose of creation. He tells us what correction action is. Why is there something rather than nothing? Because the creator has made it. What is the purpose? My chief end is to glorify God and... Oh, no one knows that one? And enjoy him forever. You guys need to catechize yourselves. How can we know things? The God who has no lie in him has made us in his image and has revealed to us both in his nature and his word, his creative glory. What is good and what is evil? How can I build a virtuous life? Paul says, I discipline my body and I keep it under control. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The faith in what? The faith in who? Faith isn't a thing that you blindly leap into. It's not a thing of what, what you hope to be the case. Faith is what? It's pistis. That's the Greek word, pistis. It just means trust. Trust in what? Our trust is not in what? It's not in a, a philosophy. It's not in a uh, series of mantras. It's in a person. It's in Jesus Christ. Because from the nature of Christ, we understand the things that we're supposed to know. What is evil and suffering? Why do we pray? What to do with a child I didn't ask for? What part of me do I have to cut off because I don't feel what I'm supposed to feel like? How do I deal with feelings like I'm lacking when I see all these things of other people happy online? What should I be doing with my life? Am I successful when I make a certain amount of money or reach a certain level? Why am I so lonely when I'm surrounded by all these people and things? The board answers those questions. The board answers those questions because we derive it from God's word and we derive it together. We hear it every Sunday in the preaching of God's word and we go home and we meditate on it and we are privileged to have as many Bibles as we do.
We are here to hear the word of God proclaimed, and for those of us who are called to become sons and daughters of the God of all truth, we are to go out into the world and proclaim the sovereign God and to live actively in that truth. And it doesn't put an age limit on it. I'm not, I, I, I know talking to the high school, but I know that I'm talking to people who are made up of the church. Now, I don't know which one of you are sealed with the special magic gift of being able to see who is part of the elect, but we need to see those who are stumbling because they run into uh, a, a problem with their life and God's word. We come alongside them, and the Bible actually has a lot of things to say about that. And we need to see that there are people who sit among us that aren't from us, and they will leave because there's a stumbling block in their way. We are made sons and daughters of the God of all truth to go out into the world and proclaim the sovereign God and to live actively in that truth, in God. If that's you, be active in your rebellion. We all love to rebel. We're all Americans. We're all teenagers. Some of us. Rebel. Rebel against the world. Rebel against the world that you're called out of, the darkness. Rebel from what is popular, from, from the, that thing which the world says is good. And be one who glorifies God in our new status and tell others the one who provides the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, not what the Petersons say, not what the Rogans say, the way, the truth, and the life. And let's do it together as one people in the church of Christ and in this building that houses the people of Calvary Bible Church. Thank you very much. Tony, you know, lead us in prayer. Thank you.